Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Hey, I'm going to be in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. If you want to grab a Bible or turn on a Bible, turn on your phone. 2 Kings chapter 4. While you're getting there, I have a question for you and a couple of examples because I made up a word in this question. And the question is this, are you a just enougher? Consider that just for a second. Here's an example. Uh, a just enougher, this is my own definition because I made up the word. A just enougher sets their alarm in the morning so they have the precise, just enough time to get ready and make it to church or work or school with no seconds to spare. How many just enoughers do we have in the room? Okay, a few. Let me give you a couple more examples. In our, many of our cars, we have this thing called distance to empty. <laughs> it's like a game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I live pretty close to the church, and so every now and again, I, uh, I look at the distance to empty, and it says like 12 miles, and I'm like, oh, 12 miles. I can go a couple of days. <laughs> I just have enough, because I don't want to go to the gas station. I have just enough gas. How many just enoughers? Yeah, a couple more. I'm going to give you a couple of other personal examples, because I bet there's more in the room. I have uh, two boys, two of my sons live with us, and we go through a lot of milk. <laughs> a lot. And more frequently than I can share, I open up the refrigerator and I see this. Why do they do that? They've, they've taken just enough milk that they can put back the scraps of the bottom of the jug and leave it there because they don't want to get another jug of milk, right? A just enougher. I want to give you one last example. I wasn't sure I was going to use this. I will not describe it in detail, but hopefully you can get the mental picture of just enougher. Here we go. <laughs> we have just enoughers on staff. That's a picture here at the church now. Ah. <laughs> uh. We've got a staff meeting this week to talk about it. <laughs> we don't. Hey, I want to make a, a spiritual shift from that because likely there's many just enoughers in the room. The spiritual shift is this, and it's a hard shift. So uh, the question is, are you a just enougher or am I a just enougher in our spiritual lives? Oof. Like that's a... That's a big question for me. And I've got a couple of verses that I want to point to that I'm wrestling with myself. Here's one, Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now the implication there is if I take enough of God's word and get it in my heart, I'm not talking about my head, I'm talking about the 18-inch journey from my head to my heart. If I have enough of God's word in my heart, it will keep me from sin. And when I read that, I think, oh, I might be just enougher. I might be. Like, and I know when I read a verse that really captures me and it gets me, like, in my heart, it changes. 
It changes me. 1 Peter 2, 9, some of you know this. It's one of the verses that I just lean to for my identity. You can look at it later, but it calls us a chosen people, a royal priesthood. It gives us what we're supposed to do as Christians. It's just a beautiful verse that I've stored in my heart. And so I know Psalm 119, that is true. But there's other areas, am I just enough for? What about this? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice sometimes. Pray every now and again. No, that's not what it says. It says rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If I'm just transparent, I am not a great celebrator. So that whole rejoice always thing, I struggle with that. I struggle that I'm just celebrating and rejoicing enough. And even though I love prayer deeply and I've been on this journey to just fall in love with prayer, I am not praying continually and there's times I'm just getting by with enough. We've used this next verse throughout this series of hope, Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living in a time, I'm interacting with folks who barely have enough hope in the relationship struggles that they're in. Like they just barely have enough to wake up in the morning and go to their job because it's some temporary assignment that their boss gave them and it's so hard, they hate it, but they've just got enough hope to get through it. So I want to ask this question to all of us, including me. This question came up, I think, at the beginning of this hope series, and I want us to consider it again as I close out this series. And and the question is this, is there an area of my life that could use more hope? I'm gonna pause. Instead of just blowing through that question, I really want you to consider it. The account in scripture that I'm gonna read today from 2 Kings chapter four is an account where a woman is in the middle of a struggle, but she walks away from it, literally overflowing with hope from the Lord. And my my goal today is to close this series, we've been in this series uh, called Hope, but I wanna close this series that we could actually take the things that we learned. You could go back to any of the messages. You could take any of those messages, the message from today, and actually deeply look in this account, 2 Kings 4, and walk away differently, full of hope, because God is a God of hope. And so I wanna pick this up, 2 Kings 4, and give you a little background. There's a woman in this account that she's got an issue. We'll read about the issue that she has. And she has hope in the Lord. She has hope in the Lord enough that she needs an answer from God. Now back in these times, if you needed an answer from God, you went to another person that was called a prophet. And the prophet, the one that we're gonna read about, Elisha, a prophet is deeply connected to God, hears from the Lord, and gives answers to people. And so we know she has hope in the Lord because she goes to the prophet Elisha to describe her problem. And so 2 Kings 4, I'll pick up in verse one, it says this. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. 
And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's no jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. In this account, the widow has a significant problem, but by the end of it, she has more than enough hope to sustain her. And so I really want us to deeply look at this passage and go deep and slow it down to learn a few things from this widow about hope. To do that, let's pray first. Will you pray with me? So Father, we thank you that you are the God of hope. And God, as we approach this word, we really need you to speak. So would you open our hearts and our ears and our minds to exactly what you would say. Speak to us uniquely today, God, so we can hear you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Back to the program, a couple of fill-in-the-blanks that will help me from going on to different rabbit trails. Uh, Here's what I see about the widow's hope. The widow's hope embraced faithful action. It embraced faithful action. Here's a little more detail about what's going on in the story. The woman's husband has died. Back in this time of the Bible, if you had a debt and the primary breadwinner had passed away and you had no way to, uh, to pay that debt, the creditor, the person that you owed money to, could come and take your children, take your boys, and put them in slavery until the year of Jubilee, it says in Scripture. It was legal to do this. And the year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. So not only was this woman grieving for the loss of her husband, not only grieving that she had a large debt, but she has two sons that are about to be sold into slavery for up to 50 years. This is a bad situation. This isn't your everyday run-of-the-mill problem. This is bad news. And she's got hope enough in the Lord that she goes to the prophet and says, My, we got an issue. I need your help. And here's what Elisha says. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside. Shut the door behind you and your sons. Put oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. It's easy for us today to read this account in three minutes and realize, yep, it's a big problem, and see the solution. But if we slow this down and look deeply at this, this woman is in a big problem. And if I place myself in the woman's shoes and I go to someone to get an answer that I have this big debt and their answer is, go get some empty jars, I've got some questions. Does anybody else really like clarity when there's issues? 
You want just enough of the answer that I can get through this problem. So here's the questions that I would ask. Why am I getting jars? Do I have to go to the crazy neighbor that actually doesn't like me and ask for an empty jar? And what if the neighbor says, what are you using the jar for and when will I get it back? And Elisha, you're talking about oil. Did you not hear that I just have this little flask of oil? Where is this oil you speak of? And if you notice in the text, Elisha doesn't tell her what to do with the oil after the jars are cheated. At the beginning of the text, before she starts pouring, he doesn't say anything about selling the oil. So, okay, I guess, what do you want me to do? Like, I've got all these questions, but when we look at what the widow does, she has her hope in the Lord, and she unquestionably steps out and does it in faith. My hope is in the Lord, and even though I don't see, I don't understand, I have thousands of questions, she steps out in faith, and they go and they get empty jars. I think it's important to understand the difference between hope and faith, because sometimes those get intertwined and confused. If we look at this scripture, Hebrews 11.1, it says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Pause. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. The widow was put her hope in the Lord, and she was confident enough in the Lord that she put her faith in the next step. And then it says, for an assurance about what we do not see. She didn't see the oil. She had just a small little bit of it in a jar, but yet she still got those empty jars. Another way this is described from a book called Anchor Your Soul, it says this. It says, hope is an assured promise, whereas faith is acting out on that promise. Faith is hope put into action. Oh, that's helpful. You can write this on your handout. Hope without action could be just wishful thinking. Hope without action could be just wishful thinking. couple of thoughts from the Old Testament, a couple of different people. Noah, some of you know Noah. He was righteous before the Lord. He like put his hope in the Lord. He was locked in to what God was doing and God came to him one day and said, hey Noah, uh, I'm tired of what's going on on the earth. I'm going to flood it so you need to build a boat. Whoa. Hope in the Lord. I get these instructions and in faith, Noah spent Like, it didn't take 30 days to build this boat, people. This was a big boat. Years and years and years of building a boat. He, in faith, started to build a boat even though he didn't know when it was going to rain. Even though I would have asked, who's getting the animals? Who's going to clean up the poop? (laughs) Like, I've got questions, but Noah, in faith, did what the Lord told him to do. Or what about this, Abraham? God told Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as great as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you a land that is flowing with milk. It's going to be amazing. But I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I need you to start moving. Hebrews 11.8 tells of this account. It says, by faith... Everybody say, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. 
even though he did not know where he was going. Hope in the Lord, faith enough, even though I don't see it, to take a step. I want to share an example that is inclusive of the whole church in this. You all participated in this example, whether you know it or not. Four years ago, we were on this journey as a church to plant five churches in five years. We called the initiative Reach. And at the beginning of this journey, as we were, we'd never done this before. We had hope in the Lord, felt really confident that he was prompting us to do that, plant five churches, five years, had no idea how to do it, didn't see how we were going to do it. We needed to get some learning, like, okay, we need some wisdom in this. And we went to a conference, the staff did, took a bus to learn. How do we do this? Now, the conference speakers were okay, but there was this one guy who was not on the agenda that I saw, who came up sort of mid-conference, stood on the stage, he was from India, and he started telling his story of how he planted 4,000 churches in India. 4,000 is way more than five. Now, my first reaction was, I'm just being transparent, was no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You're counting people under a tree that gather to talk about Jesus as the church. You're counting like, no. And I felt when I was considering that, I felt like the Lord said, you need to go talk to this guy. Now, really? I mean, we're, we're in another city. No one knows me up there. How am I going to talk to this guy? But I felt prompted to take a step of faith to the atrium after the talk, and lo and behold, this guy named Abraham is out there from India, and I tap him on the shoulder, and I introduce myself, and I said, hey, I would love to spend just a minute with you to share your story, because I got a couple questions. I actually asked, I told him I didn't believe him. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> I said, really, are you counting people that just gather in a house as a church? And he said, no, 4,000 churches, they have their own building, 25 people worship in children's ministry. That's when we called a church. Whoa, how did you do it? Like I, and he spent 30, 40 minutes with me just describing the high level. This is how we do it, a prayer, this, that, the other. It was amazing. And at the end of it, he prayed for me. It was a powerful prayer. And I would count back that that moment of prayer helped us because the step of faith helped us in the five and five journey. This guy imparted something into this church to say, you can do this. Now, the story doesn't end there. At the end of that prayer, Abraham looked at me and he said, you need to come to India. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're considering planting five churches in five years, step 65 is not go to India. <laughs> like, that was not on my project plan. I'm a pretty logical guy. I can put a good plan together. And going to India, not on it. Six months later, we end up going to India. Small team, go over there. And we form this relationship and understand who he is and actually put our feet in churches and meet pastors. Like, he's the real deal. We learned a ton. And because of that partnership, we have provided bikes to pastors in India. You all helped build a community center in India that's feeding people and teaching children about Jesus. And just recently, because of your faithfulness, you helped get eight of ten pastors out of jail. You did. I say that for two reasons. One, there's still two pastors in jail. They got thrown in jail for preaching Jesus. You should be praying for them. And the second reason I share that is we had hope in God 
that we could plant five churches five years. But you know what God's plan was? It was way bigger than that. It was way bigger than that. But it took a faithful step. And I, I think today, like, what wouldn't have happened if little old me didn't go out to the atrium and follow that step of faith and talk to Pastor Abraham? Like the widow stepped out in faith, had no idea in the midst of a problem what was going to happen, yet she did it. So here's a question I want us all to wrestle with, including me. Am I full of hope but short of action? Am I full of hope but short on action? God, I've got hope in you, but we can get stuck in that when the Lord prompts us to take a step of faith into something. It's what the widow did. The widow's hope embraced faithful action. The other thing I see in the text is this. The widow's hope went beyond just enough. The widow's hope went beyond just enough. So the widow's boys go out, they collect jars. And I want to place ourselves because the text says they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. I want you to say that with me. She kept pouring. One more time, it's important. She kept pouring. Place yourself in the account just for a second. You're in a room. There has to be some anxiety. Those two boys know that if this thing doesn't work out, they're going to be sold into slavery. They have no idea what is going to happen to their mom. Their dad has passed away. They've collected jars because some crazy man of God said, get a whole bunch of jars. And they're in a room. The door is closed. And I can just imagine that this widow has this little flask of oil in one hand, and she's got a jar in the other. And she starts pouring. And there's got to be this moment. I can almost sense it, almost feel it when she realizes there is more oil coming out of this jar than was in it. Something crazy is happening. There's got to be just this intimate moment of, Lord, you are showing up. I don't understand it, but I'm going to keep pouring. And she keeps pouring and sets that jar down and picks up another one. Keeps flowing. She's still pouring. Sets it down, picks up another one. To the point, the text actually says this. It says, bring me another one, she says. But he, one of the sons, replies, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stops flowing. What is the widow focused in on? She's probably in her brain thinking about the problem, but she is not focused in on how many jars are left. She's not focused in on anything else in the room. She has her hope in the Lord, and she keeps pouring. She is focused on what is going. And as long as there is an empty vessel, the hope of the Lord is pouring out. Oh, that's a good lesson. Because if I'm in that room, I'm wondering, how many jars are left Is this thing going to last? I'm thinking of the problems. But the widow's focused on the hope, and then it overflows. It is a phenomenal. And I wonder, 
Because this is such a great lesson for me. I wonder how many times that I approach the Lord. I've got hope in you, God, on this problem, and so I'm going to bring you this empty vessel, and the Lord answers it, and then I back away, and I'm like, okay, that was good. That was good for that one problem in front of me. And I wonder if the Lord looks down and goes, I have so much more. I have so much more to overflow on you. Why did you disconnect? Or how many times I've approached the Lord and I'm like, okay, God, I need help in this one issue. I have hope in you. Will you fill me up? And then he gives me something that I should do, some faithful action, something I should step out in. And I'm like, whoa, that's tough. I don't know that I can do that. And I back away. This happened in Scripture. If you look at John chapter 6, there were people who were following Jesus that were called disciples. This is not just the 12 disciples. There was a whole bunch of people that would follow Jesus to the point of saying, Jesus, I will sit at your feet and whatever you have, I will soak up like a sponge. Fill me up. And then Jesus started talking about some really hard things to these disciples. And look what it says. On hearing it, many of his disciples says, said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And then look what it it says in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples, people that sat at the feet and would say, I am a disciple of Jesus. I will soak up what you have. Said, nope, whoa, time out. I'm taking my jar and going home because that's too hard. It it reminds me a little of the culture that we're living in today. You can argue with me later. But I think we're living in a culture where we approach God with our issues like Panera grab-and-go. Anybody ever use Panera grab-and-go? Put an order online. You don't even have to be there. They tell you what time to pick it up. You just run in the store, grab it, and go. Super convenient. But I approach God sometimes like that. God, I have this issue, and I want you to swoop in, and I want you to fix it in a grab-and-go type of method. We're living in a culture, I think, that is feeding on the grab-and-go style of connecting with God, and that's just not how God works. If we go back to a psalm, Psalm 23, some of you know this. Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you heard this psalm? Verse 5 of this psalm, I think, is really instructive on this. It says, you prepare a table before me, Lord, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I really like that last sentence. Lord, you anoint my head with oil. My cu- I want my cup to overflow. But look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why does it not say, Lord comes down and squashes my enemies like a bug and my answers are complete? Why why does it say that? Because that's what I want, but no, that's not how the Lord worked. The Lord says, you know what? In the presence of your problem, in the presence of your enemies, I'm going to set a table for you. And what do we do at a table? We sit. We interact, we eat, we get things, we give things. That's what we do at a table, and that's what the Lord is saying. In the presence of your enemies, in the presence of your problems, guess what? You better sit down and connect with me because you've got to learn a few things. 
I got something to give you beyond the problem that is at hand. You can write this down. We miss things when we grab and go with God. We miss things when we grab and go with God. Grab and go is not good enough. It doesn't get us to hope overflowing. If we look at the widow, she did not grab and go. She hung with it. She stayed there until there were no jars left. She stayed connected as long as there was an empty jar. And look what happens in the text. It says, go, she takes the oil jars to Elisha, and he says, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. God's dream for the widow was beyond the problem of the two boys going into slavery. God's dream for the widow is not only do I have hope enough for your problem, I have hope enough to take care of you and your sons forever. That's a beautiful promise. That is hope overflowing. That is staying connected to the Lord and being faithful and going well beyond just enough. Romans 15, 13, we've read this many times in this series, may the God of hope, he is the source of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want in my life. I want to be overflowing in hope. My prayer for you is that you are overflowing with hope. The world is not overflowing in the hope. The world is a hope stomper. The world can crush the hope out of you. And when we do what the widow did, when we posture ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I am an empty vessel. Fill me up beyond just the problem that I'm bringing to you. He will fill us up to overflowing. He has dreams and visions for you more than you could ever ask for. When we approach him with the problem, stay connected. Fill me up, Lord, beyond just this. Fill me to overflowing. So when I go over into the world, so when I go to school, when I go to work, when I go back home, people can actually sense that something is different and I've got my hope in the Lord and I'm taking faithful steps forward. The world will be different if that happened. If we do what the widow did because her hope embraced faithful action, and went beyond just enough. It's a great lesson. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.